Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Well, hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States. We are happy to have another guest today as we continue to build our human library of immigrant stories. Today we have for you Maribel Rodriguez. Welcome, Maribel. Thank you so much, Simone, for having me. I really appreciate being a part of this uh, conversation today. Yes, we're excited to have you and to hear more about what you're doing with Love for Immigrants. Love for Immigrants uh, is my baby project. So I started at American University. That's where it was created. I went there for graduate school, got my master's degree in social entrepreneurship. And I was originally going to do something with uh, children and SEL since I, at the time I was working with children. But given the circumstances, and I think I saw a big need for humanizing stories of immigrants to tell the contributions and the positive that I saw growing up in Brooklyn from diversity of people from all different walks of life and different countries. I wanted to share that with others. Um, and so at the moment, we are growing beyond a photo essay project, which is how we started. We have had collaborative exhibits. So basically, our mission, so everyone knows, is Love for Immigrants is a social space for immigrant support. We aim to connect immigrants to their communities as respected, loved, and heard individuals by sharing their narrative through art and storytelling. And we had three virtual exhibits. Uh, in 2020, we had a speaker series along with that. In 2021, Unweave Stories was our virtual reality exhibit. And uh, 2017 was our only in-person, a uh, very small exhibit part of Ayuda's uh, fundraising gala. And that was mainly the photo essays. But since 2020, we've had a collaborative approach, um, inviting other perspectives from other artists from different countries. And, and we've also had collaborations with different people. And I'm happy to talk more about that. But that's really us in a nutshell. And we're trying to grow. We're currently part of a Thari group incubator and just really overjoyed to connect here and share more. And we're always looking for artists and stories and I'm also happy to share ours. <laughs> yes, yes. Can you tell us a bit more about how this actually plays out like when you say you know art and stories like how does are, are people creating collages how does the art actually show up when you do these uh, presentations so it's different I think every year 
since we've started. The idea is to be very open and inclusive of different art mediums. And in 2020, I think we had every possible art medium you can think of except dance. And that's really unfortunate because my my heart art is dance, even though I study photography. And so hopefully in the future, we'll, we'll do something with dancers. But we've had visual artists from photography to just fine art, painting to textile art. Uh, we've also had musicians. The 2020s when we had more musicians, we had about three, I believe. And, you know, from urban music to very cultural uh, music to like a mesh of rhythms and languages and styles. Uh, and then we also had film and performing arts. So it that one was, I think, my favorite one in terms of the different kinds of art that you could find. Our 2021 exhibit on Weave Stories, that one is more oriented with visual artists. So you'll see film, You'll see paintings. You'll even see some amazing like colored pencil work, which looks like a painting, which is out of this world. And you'll also find painting on wood. That was very unique because it, it makes a little bit of upcycling there, if, if you think about it that way. And our 2020 exhibit, the theme of that was art healing. And that was during, I think, the worst of COVID. Yes. So we also had speaker series there so people could talk about um, their identities, different aspects of their identities, not only their culture and how art has been a tool for healing. So even though our main mission is to, you know, have this community of immigrants also support artists and also be a space where we have dignified and respectful stories to add to the fabric of our collective narrative. We also, I think, in an unspoken way, have this aspect of of healing and nurturing that inner well-being uh, because it's necessary if we want to be a strong community right right so is this um it sounds like quite an involved event is this a one-day event or is this over like a week or over several months so I'll tell your listeners a little secret you could still find it although both uh, all three exhibits closed are um we had an exhibit between 2020 and 2021 which was a small showcase that's the only one you can't find at the moment and that was a collaboration with artist sunday trying to showcase artist work so people could be inspired to shop art for christmas uh, or the holidays if you don't celebrate christmas and it was just about three weeks it was open about three weeks but i'm very close to these exhibits so i'm always asking for like okay team what do you think like can we leave it open for a little longer or asking the artists so the artists were very generous this year in 2021 and they allowed us to keep our virtual reality exhibit which we collaborated with uh, occupy white walls that's the gaming platform so if people are really big into games our exhibit is not only on our website you can find the actual virtual reality gallery it's called mrod l4i and you can find our work there. Uh, so that's what's really cool about that one. And it's still open as a learning resources resource for educators who want to teach. Um, they could teach anything, uh, you know, not only immigrant stories, uh, which would be ideal, but they can also teach about art tech. They can teach about just fine art and how artists tell and express themselves through art, because I think those are really strong pieces in that way. So in a way, it, they never really go away, but um, eventually, you know, 
the artists will we we hide it in our website because the artists lend us their work for a certain period of time. So it's still open now. So if you want to teach a resource of 2021, it's it's open. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Yeah. And I'm interested in the aspect of the you said you mentioned a speaker series. How has that played out for you? And what was the impact of that and some of the stories that you heard in the presentations? Yeah, so the impact for me was great because I heard the ball. <laughs> and it was it was beautiful to hear the entire story from their personal lives to them as artists and that that part I connect to as well as an artist myself, but also how anyone can listen and get ideas for what they can do in very small ways in their daily lives to add well-being through art. So people can still find it. You just got to dig a little bit on our website at loveforimmigrants.org with the number four. And you can still find the speaker series. But we had people from all over the world view our site and view our online exhibit, which was one of my lucky and happy surprises to find. So it was an impact for the artists because they got a chance to really see who was involved in the exhibit and even get inspired by by other artists. And it was also an impact for the community. That's that's my my hope. And I think in terms of like the survey, the first, like in 2019, people were excited to share. 2020, people seemed to not really want to deal with surveys too much. So from the few that we gathered, there there was a positive impact, but um, we didn't gather um, in, what is that information from everyone like we've hoped that would see it. So if you can, Maribel, share with us a little bit about yourself, your personal story, you know, what is your heritage and your family's heritage and what brings you to the United States? Absolutely. So again, my name is Maribel Rodriguez and my mom is from Colombia in a city called Cali and uh, I grew up in New York City, so as a daughter of an immigrant, and also my dad is from Puerto Rico, so that's, as you may know, a uh, semi-sovereign territory of the United States. So my part of the family, they mentioned they're American, so that's sort of their perspective. I never fully felt American, which is weird. It's like half of the family say they are, and I'm just like, are we really? You know, it doesn't <laughs> feel that way. <laughs> like our culture is different, our language is different. Americans treat us like we're not Americans. Like, is are, are we really? So in a way, both of my cultures share what would be either an immigrant experience or something similar to an immigrant experience. You know, Puerto Rico, the difference being that they're, they don't have the issue with documentation, with their documents, because of the, the relationship. But there's still, you know, so much that is different. The language, what we eat, the music we listen to, our sayings, many things are are different and how we're perceived by other people. It sounds like you were born here. Were you I born in born the New York area? I was born in Brooklyn. Yeah, I was born in Manhattan actually and raised in Brooklyn. But it almost feels like I'm raised by many different cultures in a way you could say, because you don't find just one culture in New York City or in Brooklyn. You mm. find people from all over the world. So like I go walk down the street, I could find people who are Hasidic Jews and find, you know, my Dominican friends and find um, the African-American community um, who have their own culture and just find a little bit of everyone, the Italians and their festivals and, you know, go to library or go to Greenpoint and then see Polish people. These 
see a little bit of everybody. And it's amazing. Now, my parents live in East New York, so we have a big Jamaican community there. So it's just amazing to see the mesh of cultures there. Like if I visit my godmother, I'm in like a little Colombia. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, wow, the whole theme just changed. If I go get my eyebrows done when I was young, I see people from India and they think I'm Indian. And we share about our culture in that, you know, 10 minute interaction. And there was just a lot of, there was just a lot of appreciation or at least curiosity for one another. Even if there was tension, I, we didn't grow up with that hate that I, I saw now as an adult. And if there's tension or conflict, it's because there's a real tension and conflict within the community, whether it's like, you know, displacement or, and then that tends to look, seem cultural, one group versus another, one doing the displacement, one doing the um, actually being evicted. But I would say it's like, it's a human conflict. It's not a, it's a, it can be perceived as a cultural issue, but it's, it's not. And that, and that leads me to the other theme, which is, even though, or most of us were probably children of immigrants or immigrants, even people in the immigrant community can learn to really be aware of the stories that they tell themselves and others about people from cultures that are not their own. Yes, that's another conversation that could take quite some time (laughs) if we were to (laughs) go down that road. There's such a a salad bowl of people here in the United States, uh, so rich, but you know, at times there's friction and it's just humans interacting with others. And so that's the reality. So what was it like for you growing up in the New York area, lots of culture around trying to balance, you you know, the Colombian, Puerto Rican dynamic, but yet you were born here. What was that like for you at home and then in school and so (laughs) forth? Yeah. It was a, it came with its challenges, but overall it was amazing because it taught me how to navigate different cultures now as an adult, I'm trying to integrate all that I am and all that I've experienced. And a little bit of everyone is left in me. So my mom, she took me to Colombia or I went sometimes without her like nine times. So that's why I have a very strong international connection. So I, wherever I go, like I'm completely just loving the international community. So that comes from my mother. Um, She's very intentional about making sure I understood where I come from in terms, at least in in her aspect. Um, But even a little bit of Puerto Rico, she made sure like she learned how to cook certain meals. So I knew what that is growing up with certain Puerto Rican dishes. And so having that made me very appreciative through her lens of how much she loved her country and for many years, I felt like, you know, I am Colombian, I am, I am Puerto Rican, and, and I still do, like, it doesn't leave me. Now, as I'm getting older, sometimes I realize, oh, wow, I'm so American too, you know, in so many ways, but it's all a part of me. And all the people that I met too, not just my Puerto Rican and Colombian cultures and the food and the music, but everyone that I grew up with that I shared my culture and they shared their culture. Like, I grew up learning how to dance bachata from my Dominican friends. And my best friends were Mexicans and, you know, just a little bit of everyone from all over the world. At some point we, we crossed paths and we shared that to me was really precious. And I didn't realize not everyone had that gift. I thought it was just like, like, doesn't everyone have this kind of experience? I didn't realize how, how unique experience that is for people that grow up in the metropolitan area. And it's funny because as I listen to you, I'm reflecting on my time here. So I came towards the end of high school. 
um, in Jamaica, right? And having studied French and Spanish in seventh and eighth grade and kept up with Spanish up until, well, kept up with both until my junior year in undergrad, I decided to stop French because I would have had to do a triple major, Spanish, French, and international business. So I kept up with Spanish and international business, stopped with French in, under, in my junior year. But I remember my cousin say, boy, some, I'm always bringing somebody home. Like I remember in undergrad, I had a friend from Guatemala, my Mexican friend. I had a Haiti, a Haitian friend. And then I would be going out salsa dancing with my girlfriends. We had a spot there in Kansas City that Friday nights I would be going out and did a little summer 10 week live study abroad where I lived with a family in Oaxaca, Mexico and and did some studying there too of, you know, Latin American literature. And so I felt like my my world was so rich. I mean, I had a friend from Eritrea just throughout my years. I grew up from Jamaica to Kansas City, but even then my outlook on the world was so international that I always was interacting with people from everywhere, you know, from different places. And my love for culture just has just deepened over the years and my appreciation and wanting to connect with other people and to learn something new about their culture and the way they see the world and the way they do things. But then as I've gotten older, I realized that there are other people perhaps in my family or others of my friends who did not have my same walk or experience with the world. It was different. And, you know, Kansas City compared to New York, completely two different worlds, right? And so it was interesting that I actually, my life just kind of led me down the path of just being connecting to all these international people in the Midwest, which then took me to the DMV, to DC metro area and so forth. So I can totally get what you're saying. I so appreciate those connections. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story as well. So yeah, I'm actually in the DMV area too. Now as an adult and all the way from Brooklyn, you know, didn't realize I'd be up here. I I think I thought I was going to stay in Brooklyn all my life, or at least in the New York City area. And that's why to me, it's a part of who I am. It's like I came here and I lived with someone who's amazing, who just passed away, unfortunately, who became like my friend and my DC mom. And she was like the small Italian lady who had so much spiciness and pizzazz and life in her. And a lot of like her sayings and her words, like Zingara, which is gypsy. And like, she was calling me that because I'm always running around, going to different places and going to New York and going to visit, you know, people. She taught me a little bit of her culture as well, or at least sayings. And then, you know, my fiance, like our, our family, which is my family now, like they're from Ethiopia. And so, you know, learning to eat some of their food and some dancing, some of their dances. And, you know, to me, like a big way to connect with cultures, my own and others is through food and dance. I may not always know what it's called, but I will try to eat it. Yes. <laughs> I will. I, I may not know the name of the dances, but I will try to dance like wherever I'm going. It's a way to connect. And they have so much there on the Veterans Plaza, don't they? You know, I remember just standing and seeing all the performances of the different cultures coming down, whether it's thanks the Thanksgiving parade or other parades or the stalls that they set up there for people to sell their all uh, things from their own countries and so forth. So it's such a, you know, the, the term that a lot of people use is the melting pot or, you know, if you, these days I hear salad bowl <laughs> because we're not always melting, right? A lot of people kind of stay within their enclaves and, and still, kind of keep their traditions alive. 
if you want to say it that way so and it's beautiful to see that I'm always I feel like a part of me is uh always inspired by everyone else and I hopefully inspire other people so it's in there but we don't stop being who we are or coming from where we come from that's absolutely true Mm-hmm. Yeah, and rich is who we are, right? We can't forget our past, our traditions, and our roots. It's very important to stand on that. So what was it like, though? I'm, I'm wondering, being an American kid, going back to Colombia or interacting with Puerto Rico, what was it like for you? How did you experience the culture? Were you seen as Colombian or Puerto Rican? Or were you seen as a as in the Mexican say gringo? <laughs> I was actually seen as Colombian in Colombia because I have like a very in terms of how I look, I look very um Latinx, whatever that means. It's just like a mesh right. of cultures. And I spoke Spanish really well. Like it was my first language. So at the age of nine, like I could speak Spanish like my friends in Colombia. Uh, so they were actually always like, you know, you're Colombian. Like, I don't know what you think you are, but you're Colombian. And I had actually this lady up in the mountains when I went to visit my aunt who was adamant saying like, you cannot be American. Like, how can you be American? You don't have blue eyes and you're not, you don't have white skin because uh, I'm I'm brown, I'm tan. And so I was like, you know, I'm both like, I'm definitely Colombian because it's part of who I am, but I'm, I was born there and I'm raised there. So it's possible. And that sort of shows like what the media portrays. But it, it was, I think, until I started like studying like some higher level things like photography and it has its own jargon and social entrepreneurship that comes with its own things that I started sort of being really anxious about my Spanish not keeping up with the pace of my English. Mm, <laughs> and so that's okay. when the differentiation starts or like the more I'm incorporating my Puerto Rican side into my life the more I, I'm sure like I will not be recognized at one point like my Puerto Rican side it, I have a very strong Colombian accent in Spanish I used to so they were like are you Puerto Rican are you sure to some people it's very visible and like simple things like my forehead <laughs> like they're like I can tell you're from like this one place because of your forehead I was like oh okay <laughs> like sure <laughs> if you say so wow. um, yeah. And so it, it was odd because Puerto Ricans are interesting because I would tell them like where my father's from and no one would know. Like they're just like, where is that? So it was just an interesting feeling. Like, I guess it's almost like a subculture within a culture. He's from a little small um, mountaintop called Villalba. And just not a lot of people know about that place. And I'm figuring out that a lot of the reason why like that tension between like even Spanish language um, between like, oh, Puerto Ricans butcher the language and Colombians speak so well. Like part of it is because there was one, there's a class thing. Like my part of the Puerto Rican family just didn't have that privilege to get education. And that's a reality of life. While like my mom's side, like they're, most of them are middle-class and they're doing pretty well for themselves. So they had at least, you know, education. And then the other side is like, we, I think on my Puerto Rican side, they come from um, more indigenous people and Taino people and a lot of the Puerto Rican language not all of it but depending on where you come from there incorporated Taino words and I'm learning that now as an adult I wish I knew that as a child but even like the perspective of how people look at indigenous people my Puerto Rican side like my dad would never speak bad about indigenous people he's like they were they were brilliant and it makes sense why he would think that way I think some part of him maybe knew that he has that ancestry and probably didn't have the evidence for it but in so many ways 
it comes out in the words that we say or the words he says and that other people from other Spanish-speaking countries just don't know because some of the words, like vegetable words, are not even Spanish. They're Taino words. So he doesn't know that um, to explain that, like, well, you know, our indigenous people survive, like their language survives somewhat in Spanish, which is, to me, is beautiful. I was like, wow, I'm learning that now. And I'm saying, what resilience to, no matter, like, the genocide that tried to happen or the difficulty of a culture being erased, like, you're surviving somehow in this new language that's, you know, overtaking the country. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. So I wonder, did your parents have an American dream for you? Are you the oldest in your uh, of siblings? Are you the only child? I'm the baby. I'm the only child on my mom's side and I'm the baby on my dad's side. So they definitely had an American dream. Their dream in many respects, like many other families that migrate uh, work-related. The opportunities in their countries weren't that great. And in so many other ways, it's more than they probably would even tell me. So I think mm -hmm. for for the hopes that they had for themselves too, the what it represented, I think in many ways was a hopeful future in yes. terms of so many elements of life, in terms of love. Like my mom had me at 42. So I'm sure that was an element there finding that that person that would you know start a family and life with for my dad he had a really traumatic upbringing so you know the hope and energy around like finding out what is this new country or this new uh the mainland what it, what's there and and what are the opportunities there and for me like the biggest hope was education they both agreed and were very aligned in that they didn't have good education. My mom, because she was a woman, like my my uncle back home, back in Colombia, like he has a bachelor's degree, but she she didn't. And I mean, not just because she was a woman, that was a factor, but also finances and um, maybe like, did she like studying as much as maybe other people in her family? Who knows, right? Where my dad, like he didn't even have like elementary school. Like he probably had three months. Um, with that, he accomplished a lot, but um, they realized the limitations and back in their day, them being 72 now, nobody spoke about the importance of education at all. It was just work, work, work hard, work well, and you'll be okay. And they realized that education was an important stepping stone because without it, it really limited the possibilities and opportunities. And so that was really their um, goal was for me to have a safe and and be well educated, which I think I I felt that message really deeply and got my master's, <laughs> which I never thought I would. I knew I'd get go to college because they loved education so much, but I didn't realize I would go that far. Okay, so the educating your education, right? And you made them proud. You finished both parts, so you could even go out, go towards your PhD, and that would probably make them even happier, right? <laughs> probably, but they want grandkids at this point, so <laughs> that probably give them a heart attack. <laughs> They're like, no more, no more school. I'm sorry we told you <laughs> so much about education. <laughs> that is so funny. It, it was interesting because this is the second story I'm having today. I was speaking with someone earlier going out to a July the 4th celebration at church, and the gentleman I was we were talking meeting for the first time and he was saying no they the, my two children haven't had any grandchildren yet and it reminded me of a story I saw this weekend with there uh, there was a couple in India who was suing 
their, uh, I think, son and, and daughter-in-law for not giving them grandchildren and that they have to pay them back over 600000 what's equivalent of over 600000 USD if they don't give them <laughs> grandchildren. I have never heard of such a thing. It's Neither amazing. Have I. It is. And we saw that story too. Uh, and we were like, oh no, our parents could do that to us. <laughs> like <laughs> We didn't even know this was possible. <laughs> Okay, we better get to the grandchildren soon. Right? Oh my goodness, that's that's amazing. But you know, the things that happen in, in this world, my gosh, this is the lived experience of uh this is reality of every day, right? It keeps us keeps our feet on the ground. Well, I think um, with immigrant families is really odd, but I think it happens not just in immigrant families, but especially in ours, like and growing up in a, a little bit of a hood. It's like don't have kids, like be careful, like don't have sex. Like it was just this very strict environment of be careful. Like you have a boyfriend, but just be very careful. And all of a sudden you hit a certain age as a woman. And then they're like, the narrative just shifts and it becomes like, where are my grandkids? And (laughs) you're just like, I'm confused. The narrative has been don't have kids. All of a sudden it's where are my grandchildren? Because by now, a lot of people should have one in our cultures. Yes. And it's just like, okay, we have to have a middle ground here, okay? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Though I get it, though, I understand for so many, when, when particularly women, globally, when they have children, they tend to be the ones, if a family falls apart, the woman is stuck with children with the children and, and then can fall into poverty and, and all the other things that could come and that can just set people back for generations and so forth. So I really get the, you know, experience is, is a great teacher, right? And I think a lot of that is coming out of the experiences of so many people of the previous generation in trying to warn us of that detriment that could really delay our lives or set us back in, you know, having a better lived experience. So I get that. But then, yes, then you also have the religious part of it that I think scares people into being sexually active. And a lot of times there's not a lot of conversation about it, about sex and how to manage it responsibly and all of that. And so I guess the other part is just to scare people out of having staying away from sex and not, you know, and not having children. But then it switches. It was the same for me. I mean, all my life, nobody talked about it. You just know, don't do it. That's all. And then all of a sudden they're like, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? You know, like, when are you having kids? I'm like, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. I studied, I focused, I stayed away from boys. And all of a sudden now we're supposed to just have these conversations about babies. I'm like, why are you so worried? I'm not, I'm happy. Right. (laughs) Right. And that, I think that sums up the entire journey as a child of immigrants and there's this tug and pull between like me having a mind of my own or us having a mind of our own and the cultural pressure to do things a certain way or be a certain way. And like at some point, like waking up, okay, maybe it's because of my American side. I'm a lot different than my parents. But yet I incorporate and love their culture as mine. Like it's my culture too. And there's always going to be that tug and pull almost in every aspect. Like Mm -hmm. whatever it is that I look into or do, it's just whether it's like having children and my stance on that or my feelings about that. Like to me, it's an ethical question and dilemma. To them, it's just like, you do this. It's part of life. Why are you thinking? And, (laughs) And that stems from our different cultures. Like me having 
met so many people who come from so many walks of life. Like some people that I met, like taught me that life could be different and and it doesn't have to there's no right way or wrong way to really do a lot of things like of course there are some like very strong things like don't kill people you know but for the most part there's so much gray area that when growing up catholic which comes from that latin american culture things are very like strict and very like there's a guideline for you if you follow everything like you know Mm -hmm. the end you marry have kids done like that that's your life and when I step away from that and look at different people how they live their lives different even different religions like I go and like I just like to learn from different people and their religious backgrounds or or even people who don't have religious background like what you know how are they living their lives and and incorporating a little bit of everyone into how I live my life, like those things are always tension points, um, mm-hmm. my perspective on life. And mm-hmm. that will, I think that will always be there. And the more I try to integrate myself wholly with those parts and be grateful for who I am, the more it's easier to have those conversations without feeling like I'm letting people down. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the that's the biggest, I think, pain point is, even with the question of school, like, do I want to do a PhD? And if I ever do, like, I'm letting you down because I don't have kids. Or if I don't want to follow my Catholic upbringing, I'm letting my mom down because that's how she was raised in Colombia. Not so much my dad because he he's not very strict on, like, what you do in terms of religious, just has, like, one belief and is pretty flexible. So maybe it comes from him that, you know, growing up in nature in the mountains, he, he notices a lot of things in terms of what people and humanity construct our constructions, our creations of our of our daily living. If you grow up in nature in the mountains, you probably realize there's so much that's so simple. Life is just simpler than we think it is when you grow up in that space and can kind of see the realities. As an American, there are a lot of things I don't see that he saw as someone who lived through poverty. All, I mean, he probably saw people from all walks of life that I never encountered. And, and people in bigger struggles or difficult circumstances and worlds that I never ventured in and could see a certain reality about life that I can't because I'm, you know, schooling is also a kind of bubble and that it limits your understanding of reality somewhat because you, you, you come with the limitation of the lenses you're trying out from these concepts that you're given. Mm-hmm. So, but it's also beautiful. It's a difficulty, but also beauty to always have that tension, no matter what subject it is, because it, it expands, it expanded me as a human and hopefully it'll expand my, my family's thinking and we'll, we'll keep each other um, interesting. <laughs> when we have to have that conversation with our children too, there might be some tensions based on what we hold to be true and want to share with them and, and offer them and whether they take that as something they want to hold on to. So I've been thinking now for quite some time about having a conversation with someone as a guest on the show about the impact of religion on the developing world and on immigrants coming into the United States and, and you know, some of the underlying concerns that I have about, you know, it, it, how it influences people and the way they think. But that's another uh, another conversation. Another, for another conversation. Day. Yes, um, an important one. An important yes. one to keep in mind. And you know, if people knew that they're more similar than they are different, it would make all the difference. Like there are people out there who want to divide us, but if we understood our own humanity, and then that's a gateway to understand someone else's humanity. Like your, you know, your intro says that alone would bring so much because there's so many people. Let's say someone 
has a similar religion. Like they could connect on that. Someone has a similar shared, whatever similar shared interest, love dance. They love, you know, to go out in nature and hike, you know, whatever it is, there's so much that could bring us together more than could divide us. Mm -hmm. The divisive narrative is so appealing to us because we Mm -hmm. are drawn to problems and we're drawn to want to, you know, and we're afraid, you know, and the older we get, the more afraid we are of everything. <laughs> yes, that if something is different, then it's bad. And and so many times it's not, that's not the case. Right. But how many people don't love music? We all love music. I don't think I met one person yet who doesn't love music, right? We can connect yes. on that. <laughs> we all can move our feet if the music is playing. Yes. We're just tapping our feet or bobbing our head or that's doing right. something. It's just, it moves all of us. It does. Like, um, I grew up with, with um, all kinds of music. I remember dancing reggae and I'm like, this is my music. Like, I'm in Brooklyn. This is what I grew up with. Like, this is my music too. Like, it's all it's all beautiful, you know? Yes. I'm going to a Mexican party and they think I'm Mexican because I'm dancing their music. And they're like, you Mexican? I said, no. And they're like, oh, I thought you were because you're dancing our music. Like, I'll dance whatever you have me dance. I'll be there and I will dance. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's me. That's me. Yeah. Listen, listen. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I lived in Mexico for two years. So when I speak Spanish, it's more of a Mexican dialect. And so when I, I I remember speaking with somebody for work and having to interpret and he said, you speak very Mexican. Some of your words are very Mexican. So, and then people will see me and look at me and are you from Panama? Are you from the the DR? Are you Cuban? And so just trying to place me when they hear my accent. So it's been interesting, but you know, we're people and I just love I mean, I don't think I'm I'm happier than when I'm at a I go out salsa dancing with some of my friends. I mean, the joy that flows through my being is unexplainable. And I mean, I was raised in the Caribbean, exposed to reggae. Not until I came to the United States, I got exposed to like Latin music. But it brings out so much in me that it's just like it's just beauty. And I just I I, I don't really understand the fear in that. But you know, be that as it may. So I, I'm wondering then in the um, uh, thought, I'm thinking of, you know, just being concerned about your time, but w- were there any challenges that you faced, you know, as pursuing your education, you know, your, your parents dream for you or opportunities that came along to facilitate you getting to where you are? Yeah, I would say the biggest challenge was not being prepared for college. I grew up in a neighborhood that, I mean, there there. are more tough ones, but it was it was rough. I grew up in Williamsburg, which now has changed a lot with gentrification. But my education in high school wasn't very good. Um, it was a great art school, but it wasn't, in terms of academics, very strong. So I was not prepared for college in terms of academics. And, and I had probably like one or two breakdowns as a freshman because mm-hmm. I, was, I was just so unprepared. And my sense of time is different because I think it's also cultural, like my Caribbean side, especially my Puerto Rican side, like we are late to almost everything. And that's just how we are. And so trying to not have my mom, my mom's like really timely, like not having her around, which sounds really silly, but she was like my alarm for everything. She's like, don't you have this important thing? Go. And just having to deal with things on my own when my sense of time was really not like American culture at all. 
and learning it obviously like learning okay it's important to be timely like get there on time but it feeling really wrong in my body like just and trying to like learn what is this fast paced rhythm of college especially like a trimester we didn't have a semester that was really rough like trimesters you know being away and it was a shift like it, I grew up predominantly African-American neighborhood with other cultures obviously but um, then I went to college and it was predominantly like white America and learning like we did not know a lot of each other's culture. So like this, this is also America. And we are talking about different Americas as we're trying to connect on something. Mm. And they're like talking about bands and I have no idea. I'm like, I have no idea. But then there's a learning opportunity. Like, wow, now I know Jack Johnson and his music is so beautiful. I didn't know it was so beautiful until my fiance played it. That had a whole different element because we were in love. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just learning about different different people. But it was a challenge too because trying to find, okay, what is our point of connection here? And it's like, okay, wow, almost nothing. Like, you don't know any of my songs. Like, And some of my songs growing up with, I'm like, should a child even listen to that song? Like, <laughs> they just let him listen to these songs. <laughs> Talk about like, it wasn't me. Like, what? Like, what? No. <laughs> like luckily we didn't know our minds were innocent but we're all singing all kinds of music but then that was a bit of a challenge there were moments where I tried to like share about my culture in college and through my photography and no one would really understand where I was coming from oh can I interject yeah go ahead oh my gosh you're making such an important I mean that was something I struggled to understand because I remember just being in a certain world in the DC area and people having the expectation that I should know whatever movies they were talking about and the lines they were quoting, but then they knew nothing about my world. And I'm like the audacity, the arrogance, the, I mean, and there was no, just, it was unapologetically, you should know what my world is like because either they think it's the dominant culture or it's, it's, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, I really would like to have a conversation as to where that comes from. But I came across so many people who expected me to know their particular culture, not necessarily from people from different countries, but just a certain culture here in the United States. But then you would, I, I remember sharing a song of to someone and they had no, they couldn't even understand what the rap music was, what the gentleman was saying. And I'm like, but yet you are, you expect me to know your world, but you know, nothing of mine. You won't even make an effort to learn something about my world. So I'm kind of trying to make sense of this. So it sounds like that's what you were dealing with too. Yeah. And I think part of it, I didn't think through it too much. I was just like, all right, like moving on next thing. And I created a club called the Latin rhythm dance club. So I think, having that strong connection to something I loved at the university really helped me. But I think if I didn't have that, I would probably be dwelling on these things more because they they are difficult. And I don't right away realize the difficulty of it. Like I'll sit there, I'm like, it, you know, maybe it's nothing. That's usually how I thought. And I would just keep moving on. Like, okay, move on to the next thing. But they do stay with you. Like, oh, why do I feel like something's missing? Like I'm sharing like these myths and Latin America has these mythologies of um, El Duende, La Pata Sola. And like, this just, really interesting mystical stories and legends Mm -hmm. and they're usually like scary and like you know no one's asking me questions wanting to learn more and that really hurt Mm. I didn't realize how much it hurt until I was older but I thought now meeting people who are really interested to learn about one another and their cultures and I'm seeing how special that is or even not having figures like not have not seen a photographer that's making it big in in New York City or making it big anywhere that looks like me or is even brown <laughs> like 
to even put it that way like that that was hard like yeah or even if they were like not having them not share about like who they are like their other sides like they they speak just kind of like monotone and it's hard to really know like where you know what are your other sides like integrate yourself more in what you're doing because it, it does make you feel like well maybe I don't fit into this world and and that's rough because when you love something and you feel like you don't fit or you don't see people like you you're just like is this really something that like maybe my whole family's right like choosing photography was hard like I was judged for that in my coming from where I come from like people don't have the privilege to just do art and I did and I felt like a little ashamed that I had that privilege because my parents allowed me to mm. and a lot of people don't and I'm and even when they're allowing me to, like, there's expectation of you have to find a way to survive with this or without it, but you got to find a way to survive, which eventually I did. But it, it is hard to know or like people sharing movies and you don't know, like, hey, I grew up with BT. OK, like, what do you want me to do? Like, I watched some VH1. Yes. But like, I don't know a lot of movies. I had someone tell me like and she wasn't even American. She's like, you need to maybe study American culture. <laughs> Like, and what does that mean? Like, that means white America. And I didn't grow up with that, which is why I felt so welcomed always, because I was in the odd place where everyone was from somewhere else. And African-Americans, like, we had our tensions with the Latin American community, but my community, my Puerto Rican community, they were like, almost like one, like, they were like brothers and sisters, because we had like third generation Puerto Ricans that grew up and assimilated to African-American culture. And to me, I always felt welcome. We didn't have any of the things we see now where high schoolers tell me I saw the Confederate flag or I saw this hateful, you know, act in school. We didn't have any of that growing mm. up. So luckily we didn't have any of that in college either, even though it was all the way in Rochester, but it would have been a lot harder growing up now, I would say, because the things these young kids see or, or youth see in college and high school, I never had to see. Well, I never well, grew up is, with that. And so you wonder, like, are we reverting? What's what's going on? People still live next door to each other. Right. So what, what has changed? We're still the salad bowl. Right. And it doesn't mean that we didn't have issues. We had issues. I think it wasn't as escalated as it is now. Yeah. Is it the fact that we have more technology in our hands and people are able to record more stuff that it was probably happening, but we didn't realize and it wasn't shared so publicly? But now we can see it on every corner because everybody has a phone in their hand. I wonder. I wonder. Well, people Um, feel empowered, you see. When people feel empowered to hate, it has an effect. It has a real life effect. And when people feel empowered for the opposite, to to accept and love one another. And that was the push when I was growing up was like, you know, uh, people were very, um, and I'm from New York. So people were very intentional about making sure we understood the truth of our history and not probably to the extent that we should have. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know, like, oh, this happened and America did this. And, you know, all this happened to so many people, but still there was a little bit of a push to, to see like our dark sides our shadow side. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you don't see that, like people that don't have that history from other States or even, even from States in the East, if they don't care or they don't believe it, like, and then on top of that, they feel empowered or they're radicalized by what they see on social media and the regular media. Some of our news is not news, it's entertainment. And so, right. and on top of that, we have a really crappy education system. People come from all over the world and they notice our education system. That's sad. 
you know, and they don't notice it for a good thing. They're just like, what, why is this this way? Like, and immigrants are used as scapegoats for the real big issues we have, which is, you know, our education could be stronger and our, you know, our inequity could be um, something we really work on and look at our, our wealth inequity, inequity of social capital, like all of it. And, and when people are in pain and they don't know why, they used to have privilege for being white and now they don't, you know, that's something that they can easily just say, Oh, it's immigrants. Oh, it's black people. And it's, and it's not, you know, it's not, we all know it's not a lot Mm -hmm. of us know it's not that, but it's so easy to think now I'm afraid of someone because they must be doing something to make my America ugly. And it's not the case. You know, I, I feel like it all stems from fear of some and I'm hoping it's just that like I'm sure there are a few who really are just out there to hate and and have like strong prejudice but it's usually like a case of empowered hate uh, embedded in trauma and probably you know what they were taught and and the fears that they have now of a changing future because you know we're dealing with unprecedented unprecedented change which is like automation which will happen you know AI is is evolution that like will be evolutionary like there's just so much unprecedented change okay so yeah no you just unpacked quite a bit there Uh, I'm sure that's part of your work and part of my work and um, hopefully we can find ways to collaborate in the future I mean you're an American kid you were born here but yet you have influences cultural influences from Colombia Puerto Rico from so many other countries but at home your two main influences were Colombia and Puerto Rico so i'm wondering if you were able to show up as an authentic child of immigrants throughout your life whether at work in social settings or other places i think as a child of immigrant yes i for the most part would show up as my authentic self i might not always understand why people wouldn't ask more questions about like you know what what is this about or you know I had a huge series photography series and um, it was about like me missing my family in Colombia and not seeing them at the time for I think it was over five years and I dedicated that to them and no one asked me questions about that and it was interesting it was just very like about the technique and about the art form and the way I did it and it, it was just interesting that the content wasn't discussed. Um, but in terms of like me sharing, like through dance, like sharing the music that I loved and grew up with, which was salsa and merengue and bachata, like that people from all over the world welcomed that. Like they would come to the club and learn and dance. Growing up, sometimes I was a little bit odd because I didn't come across as really Puerto Rican or a child of, you know, Puerto Rican parents. And I assimilated to um, African-American community in America. So that made me, you know, sometimes feel like if I, you know, bring more of my Colombian side, or which I did, like it was impossible not to bring it, like I'm a little bit of an oddball out. Like we don't have a lot of Colombians where we grow up and they Mm -hmm. may not, until we talk, they may not know who I am or even um, having that instant trust because like this is a group I can trust. It's not an instant thing like with some other people, but it's all part of the challenge and so part of the love. Like as soon as we see each other humans, like that would tone down like any fear, any like distrust. But yeah, everywhere I go, I would say I just struggle with integrating all 
all parts of myself and whether that's culturally or with what I do, like I'm multi-passionate. So integrating all parts of me in terms of what I'm passionate about doing is hard and it's an ever evolutionary challenge. Um, integrating my ideas and my perspectives where I, I navigate very different communities. Some communities are very close-minded and just, just are not there. Like that's what it is and then some communities are like very open-minded and that's where they're at and I do a really good job at assimilating and um and just feeling out where people are at and not bringing everything to that table but then that also means I don't fully always bring my authentic self because I'm trying to make sure people are comfortable and Mm -hmm. now I'm happier with the idea of let me bring my authentic self, bring my perspectives. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then now we're having the conversation where we both can grow. And it doesn't mean I have to agree with everything or you have to agree with me, but at least we we can connect at, at a real, a more real level. So yeah, I would say, I would say it's a, it's a work in progress to, to feel accepted. But overall, in terms of my cultures, yes, I, I think I was accepted. I didn't have anything big happen. If anything, just small things you know, that we're not anything out of the ordinary, you know, kids, when we're kids, we don't know a lot of things, we're ignorant. So we're all most of the time asking questions that offend and vice versa. Me, me asking those questions, people asking me those questions, and that's how we learned. And so when we grow up, we're just like, all right, a lot of those questions were asked. And, and now we know a lot (laughs) about the things we didn't know. And so that exploration, um, and being around people now that explore also internally explore, um, and try to like, take out those ideologies that are sick or that are incomplete and and have a more fresh and complete and and truthful perspective on many things that's always the goal yeah the more I think I understand myself and understand the world around me the more I can bring out my authentic self so to wrap up here I would like to know if you had any advice particularly for immigrants um you know those who have come across the seas who are trying to decode America, try to make it, you know, make this a, a peaceful journey as they live here. Um, and then for people who might be in your shoes, born to immigrants, you know, what specific advice might you have? And then if you can talk about how do people find your services, how to connect with you for what you're um, you're doing with Love for Immigrants or other initiatives. So my advice, uh, if people are willing and able to listen, is that, you know, firstly, you are loved. There are so many people in America who were here and born generations, generations in even, um, but also people like me who are, you know, parents of immigrants who love you, like you are loved and want you to be successful and thrive and have a beautiful, enriched life here and do well for yourself and your family and always know that when things are challenging and people are, you know, if there's any tribulation or a crisis and you feel unwelcome, just know that there's so much love. I always said this country is a country of extremes. That's, I always said that. And I don't know if I have proof of that, but in my life, in my experience, I've met the kindest people and I've met the most difficult people in, mm. in America, in New York. Yes. And it, it's just the reality that is you have a spectrum of everything you have people that are doing great things and you have people that are in the struggle too with you and then you know and one thing I would say another piece of advice is for immigrants is to once you're set up with basic necessities there are so many resources out there there are organizations like Ayuda like Caressin and they are 
projects and there are churches that are sanctuaries. They're just a wealth of um, places that really want to make sure that you're doing well. So connect, go to the library. I work at a library now. So I would say the library is one of the best places when you don't know a lot of things to go and ask questions, ask for an interpreter and get the things that you need. A lot of the things you'll find at the library. And then what you don't find at the library, ask them for the resources because they have connections to partner organizations that can then help you more, whether that's with health or with finding out how the housing system works or finding out how how the education system works. Sometimes they have collaborations with social workers. I mean, you name it, like there's just so much. And that's something I never spoke enough about, but the library was always a central point for me everywhere I went in the country. And even outside of the country, when I went to Brazil, like I found the library at the university I was at. So I would say the library. And then the third thing is to also learn. Don't just take what people tell you to heart and think that's the reality. Like I would say there's a little bit of discrimination and prejudice when immigrants come to the country and work so hard and think what's wrong with other people who don't. And I would say really learn about this country's history, about the systemic oppression, learn about the prison, um, the school to prison um, pipeline, learn about this country and really see it for what it is. It is an amazing country in many regards, but it's also a country that has a lot of work to do. And if you think it can't happen to you or can't happen to your kids because you're working hard, you you just got to learn and make sure that you know your rights. Like I have to work on knowing my rights But immigrants, especially, you have to learn to know your rights, especially if you're undocumented, because right now, if you're undocumented immigrant, there is a big incentive for prisons to have, you know, these detention centers. They're just incentivized to have body counts there, to have people there so they could get more profits. And that's the reality of it. But it's not just for people who are undocumented. The same thing happens with brown and black people in America. So you know, learn about this country's history. So one, you can really empathize with all kinds of people you come across in the United States and really see one another as humans. Like I said before, the work is a two-way street. Like if we want to expect that people love us and honor us and respect us as immigrants, we also want to do the same thing for people that we come across that if there's any sense ever that we are in some way or form better because we work hard, like just know that Yes, immigrants work hard and we and we need to be people need to see that. Um, But also there is a lot of inequity and a lot of pain here in this country that causes just generational trauma and that we have to make sure that we are making allies and friends along the way that are coming from a similar place, especially and have that shared experience of whether we, you know, if especially for immigrants that are, you know, also lower class or working class, like there's another group of people who are working class and um, trying to get up there and move up the ladder and have a better life. And just don't divide yourselves, like learn about one another. That's my piece of advice. Always keep growing internally and love one another. Awesome. And how do we find your services online with what you're doing for Love for Immigrants and any other initiative you're working on? Yes. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well as uh, at, on our website. Our website is also, also deliverable. It's not about just the exhibits we do and the stories we share, which we also share in our blog. We have a website called loveforimmigrants.org and the four is the actual number four. So that's loveforimmigrants.org. 
and you'll see resource. There's a resources tab. So you got to dig in there a little bit. It's not that complicated to find though. I try to make sure that it's simple and you'll see many resources. It's just up to date now. They're mostly in the DMV area, but you'll see some national ones as well. And then you can also find our, our virtual exhibits, links to some of our artist work that you could see and you could use it as a learning resource. Um, and our Instagram community, if you do have Instagram, you can look at the artist's work, you can connect with immigrant serving organizations, you'll probably see some you know, youth who are active. We, see, we have a little bit of everybody, you'll probably see educators, so um, definitely connect. And if you want to share a story, let us know. If you um, have any questions, let us know. Wonderful. Maribel, muchas gracias por um, este tiempo. It's been so beautiful listening to you. And for, for I'm kind of calculating your age. For your age, you're, you're so wise. That could be attributed to what your parents have uh, poured into you, the exposure you've had traveling abroad, opening your hearts and living in different communities, right? And the advice that you gave you've actually lived it, you know, you know, being growing that empathy for other communities. And so we just wish you all the blessings that life has to offer. And I hope we get to meet up in person soon and possibly collaborate in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this time. And I'm glad to give the advice. You know, I grew up with older people. And so for younger immigrants, we find older people, especially older immigrants who've been here, You'll see in a second that it's possible if if you ever doubt it. You meet them and they'll come with wisdom. I've, I've listened to so many stories, like a holder of stories as a human. And I'll tell you that that has an impact. So listen to people's story if you have a minute, if you're not working three jobs like many immigrants are. And you'll see that there's so much wisdom that people transfer to you and to me. And that has a big impact on, on what you think is possible in life. Wonderful. I know your hobby to be is waiting on you. So we thank you so much. And uh, thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. Stay healthy and walk good. Tune in next week for another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence. <laughs>